Here's a shot. Henderson made a wild stab for fell. Here's another shot. Right by the door. Those words broadcast by Foster Hewitt from a Moscow arena nearly 50 years ago sparked a spontaneous celebration across Canada. Paul Henderson's goal with just 34 seconds left in Game 8 gave Team Canada a 6-5 lead and victory in the Canada-Soviet Union Summit Series of 1972. Now millions of Canadians, their eyes fixated on television sets and listening on the radio in offices and classrooms across the country, saw the goal and erupted in celebration. Well, in 1972, Gary Smith was a young Canadian diplomat working out of the embassy in Moscow and an important behind-the-scenes figure in the Summit series. Now, the series began in Montreal on September 2nd with the expectations that Canada's players would easily brush aside the Soviet challenge. It ended 26 days later in Moscow uh, when the eighth and deciding game was played. Now, the series itself, from game to game, has been extensively chronicled, but Smith's story of how the series came together and the intrigue that unfolded off the ice hasn't been nearly as well documented. In celebration of the 50th anniversary, Smith's published a memoir called Ice War Diplomat. Now, I'd highly recommend it if you're looking for a Christmas gift, if you like um, a mix of hockey, politics, and a dash of international intrigue. It is a good read. I'd highly recommend it. Joining me now is Gary J. Smith. Gary, thank you for speaking to us today. Well, great to be with you. Yes, well, it, it brought back a lot of nostalgia, and uh, and it just speaks to what a great moment that was uh, for our country. But you always forget that look, we're in the midst of the um, of the Cold War at that time. I'm very curious, how did the series itself come about at that time? Well, you know, Jazz, uh, there were two elements to this series. One was the political. Um, we were in the Cold War. We had there were about a million troops facing off against each other in Germany. There were missiles and all kinds of fighter aircraft and so on. We had just come uh, away from the Cuban Missile Crisis, where there was the chance of a nuclear war, and the Soviet invasion of Czechoslovakia in 1968. So our prime minister at the time, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, was very concerned about this, and he wanted to reduce tensions with the Soviet Union and was looking for a way to do it, try and find some common ground. And we thought that the best way to find common ground with the Soviets was hockey. You know, we had exchanges with scientists and educators and ballerinas and musicians and so on, but they only touched a small part of the population. Mm -hmm. Hockey ran uh, deep in Canada and ran deep in Russia. So there was the political drive to reduce tensions, find some common ground, try and put a face on communism through, uh, through sport. And on the other hand, on the hockey side, you know, we had always won world championships and Olympics. But the last time we won the Olympics was 1952 hmm. with the uh, Guelph uh, Mercuries. And the last time we won the uh, International Ice Hockey Federation World Championships was 1961 with the Trail Smoke Eaters. So we were really... Uh, upset and unhappy that the Soviets, so-called amateurs, were winning all these trophies, and we couldn't put our best players on the ice, and that was the NHL players. So we were looking for a way to uh, get around that, and through the combination of the politics and the push on the hockey side, Mm -hmm. uh, the embassy in Moscow was able to play a role, and we were able to work on an arrangement 
It would be a bilateral, just between Canada and the Soviet Union, no no tournament, four games in Canada and four in uh, in the Soviet Union, no trophy. You know, at the end of it, no one was going to lift a cup or anything, just bragging rights. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what uh, what happened. I mean, for, forget about the, the Cold War just for a second. I mean, even at, at that time, I think, uh, was it Richard Nixon the president at that time? Were, he, were the Americans happy with Trudeau's visit to, to Russia? No, uh, and Nixon was the president. Um, you know, Nixon was trying to work a deal with the Chinese to gang up on the Russians. And uh-huh. the Russians were looking around and saying, well, how we, can we counter this? And they saw Pierre Trudeau, who said, look, I'd like some breathing space from the Americans. So he brought the Chinese, uh, recognized them, Mao Zedong, and Trudeau went on a 12-day visit to the Soviet Union in May 1971, the first time that a Canadian prime minister had gone to the Soviet Union. Uh, I, I think um, uh, tonight, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're actually going to the Canucks game and they're playing Montreal. Uh, but back in 71, we've been talking about 71 prior to the series itself, uh, the Soviet Premier watched a similar game in, in Vancouver, did, did he not? That's correct, and that's why I wanted to go tonight, the, the symmetry of it. Because after Pierre Trudeau had gone to Moscow, the Russians decided to hurry back to Canada and uh, they had their eye on our technology. A lot of it was American technology, you know, in the auto sector, pulp and paper, hydro generation. So this is Alexei Kosygin, and he comes to Canada, and the very first thing, somebody jumps on his back on uh, Parliament Hill, and one journalist said uh, he rode him like a horse. <laughs> there, uh, there were protests, you know, thousands of people in the street protesting against this communist leader. So Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto, Edmonton. And when he gets to Vancouver, um, we had penciled in a hockey game between the Canucks and the Montreal Canadiens. This is mid-October 71. And he was lying on his bed, and uh, he didn't want to go. He said, I can't face any more booing. And Paul Martin Sr., who was an escort officer, and Arthur Lang said, well, I think if you come to the game, you'll get a different reception. So they convinced him to come, and sure enough, he gets down there on the center ice, and Henri Richard, the captain of the Canadians, and Orlin Kurtenbach, the captain of the Canucks, give him uh, two hockey sticks, and he gives them cufflinks. And that was the very first time that the Soviet flag flew in an NHL arena. And all of a sudden, Kosygin realizes, look, I've got all these boos and people who hate the, hate the Soviet Union, but here is a place where I'm getting applause. And that's when the light went off for him that the way to improve relations with Canada and Canadians was through hockey. Wow, and it happened right here in Vancouver. That's, uh, that, is, um, that is fabulous. Now, for you as a young diplomat, uh, um, what was it like for you on a personal level? I mean, this was the Cold War. This is still hockey. Uh, and there's a lot of politics, and you're dealing with a, a different era in, in, in Soviet history. What was this era like for you as a young diplomat? Well, it was uh, difficult, let's put it that way. Um, they decided I had, uh, when I joined External Affairs in 68, they put me right away on the Soviet desk. And I was dealing with the, the invasion of Czechoslovakia. You know, will they invade, won't they, or maybe. And I guess uh, External Affairs felt that I did all right with that. So they said, you're going to go to Moscow, but before you do, you're going to learn Russian. And they sent myself and my wife to a special military school. 
And it was just the two of us and a teacher for a whole year, day after day, week after week, month after month. And we were sent ahead of Trudeau's visit to help uh, with preparations. But it was a, a time when uh, food was in short supply. There were very few uh, automobiles were there. And the KGB uh, paid particular attention to myself and my wife because we were from a NATO country and uh, we spoke Russian. And there were lots of incidences where, you know, the, they had a playbook. They'd try to uh, get you in the black market with currency. They would try to uh, convince you that this is a worker's paradise. You should come over to the, uh, the other side. They had um, men and women, uh, I call them uh, swallows and ravens, who worked for the KGB. They were basically sex workers and tried to entrap you. It was called the honey trap. Mm -hmm. And then they had something called Romeo agents. And it wasn't about sex, but it was about love. Because the KGB and their friends in East Germany realized that if you fall in love with somebody, you are ready to do a lot of things. And in the spy world, mm -hmm. uh, that's often uh, the way that things go, is uh, you find out secrets through, uh, through love. That is that's a fascinating, fascinating era. Now, the book itself has many sort of behind-the-scenes uh, stories and uh, that I can't get through in this interview, but uh, give me a sense, with the, with the Canadian side in the game itself and the series itself, did they take for granted that they were going to win? I mean, was there a bit of uh, perhaps a cockiness there on the Canadian side? Very, very much so. Um, all the journalists, you know, sometimes journalists uh, operate in a herd. Mm -hmm. You know, they're all on one side here or one side there. And I'd say 95% of all Canadian and American journalists, the New York Times included, predicted an eight-game sweep. We were going to win all eight games and by quite the margin. And this was also in September. And this was a time when no Canadian hockey player trained in the summer. You know, they drank a lot of beer. <laughs> they often work, work for breweries and terribly out of shape. And we, there, there was an arrangement where we would exchange uh, coaches. And the Soviets sent over two coaches. They watched every Canadian practice. And our coaches went over and watched only one practice and said that Vladislav Tretiak, their goalie, was a sieve. Because I said to them, when I was at the, that game, and I said, look, he, he just had a stag party the night before. He's getting married tomorrow. He doesn't have his mind on the game. Well, they weren't paying too much attention. And this whole country, Canada, uh, was transfixed. We got to Montreal on September the 2nd, 1972, we were going to wipe the ice with the Soviets. And indeed, we scored two goals in the first six minutes. But Coach Harry Sinden had put out 12 forwards and only five defensemen. And it was a very, very hot night. And slowly the Soviets come back. It's 2-1, 2-2, 3-2 for them, 4-2, 5-2. And they win the game 7-3. And this whole country, Canada, was stunned. And... I went into the, uh, I was traveling with the Soviet team in Canada for the four games here, went into the dressing room uh, with the Soviet officials, and they used the word skaska, which is the Russian word for fairy tale. It was a fairy tale for them. They didn't think they were going to win, and certainly not by seven to three. So that was a shocker, Rooney, for, uh, for all concerned. And even the Russians back home were surprised because 
we may have had 16 million Canadians watching on TV and, and listening on radio. They had it. We estimated 150 million Soviets were watching this on TV. So this was a really big deal, and both countries were engrossed by it. And as the series went along, you know, this country ground to a halt. Uh, schools stopped. They assembled kids in gymnasiums to watch it on TV. Businesses stopped. People uh, gathered in front of uh, TVs, in front of department stores, all to watch uh, this series. So it it was a massive thing, and the Dominion Institute of Canada says this wasn't just a hockey series. This was great history of Canada, and it's one of the they listed it as one of 10 most important historic events in Canadian history, along with Medicare and women's suffrage, uh, the flag, uh, D-Day, uh, Vimy Ridge, and so on. So it, it, that's why 50 years later, there's still such a massive interest in this. Yeah, absolutely. I've got about 30 seconds left. I've got to ask, when the players were here in Vancouver, I understand you took them to the, 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 the team was taken to the aquarium. What was their sense of Vancouver, the Russians? Well, the um, the thing was that they were surprised that so many people were living so well off. You know, they, the theory in, in Russia was that there are bigwigs at the top of the pile, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people with cigars and top hats and so on. And they were very surprised to see uh, sort of the average man with a car and, and a house. And the other thing in Vancouver, uh, but this is game four, September 8th, Vancouver crowd booed Team Canada. That's, uh, you know, really part of the history. It was very, very surprising. We, uh, our team uh, took a lot of penalties and and uh, lost the game here in Vancouver. And that's when the famous speech by Phil Esposito that uh, said, we didn't deserve to be booed by our own fans. Uh, it was sort of like your own army booing you. Yeah. So Vancouver plays a big role in this, both for the hockey game and for the uh, Kosygin visit when uh, he watched the Canucks and uh, Montreal Canadiens game. Well, in many ways, you come in full circle as you go to the game tonight with the Canucks and Montreal. Gary, absolute pleasure chatting with you in a fabulous book. Uh, It really does shine a different type of light uh, on this series. We all know about the game, but there's so many intricate little stories that you tell. I would highly recommend people pick it up. It's called Ice War Diplomat. Like I said, the hockey is there. The international intrigue is there. A fabulous, fabulous um, uh, sort of uh, just it, it helps you get a better sense of the time and the moment as well. Gary, thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. Enjoyed talking with you.